In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today we read the famous story about the man who was uh, born blind and was healed by Christ who allowed him to see. And we see the reaction of different groups of people in the story. Of course, we know that the main central figure is the man himself, and we see how thankful he was for the miracle and the healing that happened to him. But the next group of people that should have been equally joyful and equally thankful for the miracle that had been performed is the parents of the man, because these parents were the ones who took care of this man when he was a child and all throughout his life, and they're the closest people to him uh, in the story. And yet we read about them that even after the miracle that took place, we read about them in verse 22, says his parents said these things, essentially when, they, when, when the, the Jews came to him, when the Pharisees came to them and told them, um, <clears throat> is this really the man that, that was born blind and now can see? And the parents said, go ask him. Just go ask him. They didn't want to answer themselves. They said, just go ask their son. Um, it says his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was Christ, he would be put out of the synagogue. <coughs> now, in, in the lives of these parents, you know, a great miracle had been done. And they knew it. It wasn't just something that they heard about from a distance or from far away, some news of some distant relative or someone else that, you know, maybe we don't know at all. But they knew because this was their son. And they had absolutely no doubt in their mind that this was a miracle and that the one who performed this miracle is no ordinary man. And yet, even despite this, they were not willing to acknowledge him, maybe because they were afraid. And according to here, it's saying they were afraid of the Jews because they knew that they would be put out of the synagogue had they accepted him. And they accepted this miracle and they accepted that this man was the Christ. So even though this great miracle had happened, these these parents were still unchanged. Their hearts had not been touched. They, they still were not willing to sacrifice in order to accept Christ and to believe in him. And so it, it brings the question of really what does change a heart? What does change a heart? Sometimes we imagine that if, if, in, if a miracle such as this one, <clears throat> one of this magnitude would have been performed in our own household, then maybe this would be something to make us revive. This would be, make, make us some, uh, this would be something to make us believe. This would be something to make us maybe who, even though we are believers, but maybe living our lives kind of distant from God, that this would make, make us to wake up again. And yet here in the lives of these parents, nothing changed. They were just, they were afraid of the Jews and they just tried to hide um, what really happened and they were not willing to admit it and life went on. So what changes a heart? In Hebrews 8 verse 10, it says, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. You know, God is the one who writes on our hearts. God is the one who makes us to be his people, you know. But we tend to have um, a lot of different ideas of what we need in order to be saved, in order to believe in him, in order for our hearts to be changed. We imagine that many different things, external things, might be what we need or what what people need. But God is telling us actually he is the one, that he's going to put his law into our mind and our hearts and that he will be our God and we shall be his people. So the relationship with God, the way that God touches us, is something very personal and and it might have nothing to do with miracles or anything else. So I want to talk briefly about some of the things that we sometimes believe 
is what is going to change our heart, but maybe how maybe we should be looking elsewhere. These things don't necessarily work. One thing that people believe is going to change a heart is a miracle, just like we saw in this story. Um, one example of this is Simon the Sorcerer. Simon the Sorcerer was a man who was a sorcerer. He was not a believer. And when he saw the apostles and he saw St. Paul uh, preaching and casting out demons and things like this, he believed. The Bible says that he believed, he converted. He left his sorcery and he became a Christian. But then what do we read about him? Okay, we read uh, in verse in Acts chapter 8. When Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. This is actually where we get the term simony. If you're familiar with the term simony, which is the idea that you're going to pay someone for something in return. Okay, like bribery, like you're bribing them. It comes after his name of Simon the Sorcerer. So even though this man was a Christian, even though he believed in Christ, and yet his heart still was not changed. He still had this wrong concept and this wrong idea that he could use his money to pay for some kind of a spiritual gift. His heart was unchanged. Even though he saw a miracle, he saw all these demons be, ca be cast out. Which again, why even in our modern world, there are examples of miracles. There are examples of things that if people do research, you'll find you know, things that cannot be explained. And yet at no point in time do people say, okay, you know what, because I, I see these miracles, I see icons that are dripping oil, or I see um, you know, the appearances of saints or other things, that because of these reasons I'm going to believe. It doesn't happen very often. Another thing that maybe we might think would change a heart is healing. Healing. When there were lepers, ten lepers that came to Christ, and Christ healed them all, and they all left, only one of them came back to thank Christ for the healing that had happened. It says in Luke chapter 17, So Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And when he said to him, And he said to him, Arise, go your way, your faith has made you well. So out of these ten people that were healed, <clears throat> nine of them, it, it, it was just a great thing in their life. Like they're here... <coughs> And they were healed now of leprosy, but nothing changed spiritually in their life. They didn't, they, didn't, they didn't consider this to be like a wake-up call for them. They didn't consider that they are now so thankful to God, they're going to go and, 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 and thank Christ for this great miracle that he performed in their lives. Nine of them, they just took it completely as um, a physical thing. My, 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 you know, I, I, like I went to a doctor and my doctor healed me from some physical disease that I had, and now I'm going to move, go on with my life, and my life is better now. But um, it hasn't really gotten me to think about what is greater than physical healing. Only one of the ten came back, and only one of the ten gave glory to God. Only one of the ten was changed, really, and all the other nine were not. So again, what changes a heart? Is it just a miracle of healing? Is it some kind of healing that we attribute to God? Not necessarily. Just because someone is healed, it doesn't mean that their heart is changed. What about rebuke? Sometimes, you know, we think that if, if God rebukes us and he kind of makes us feel the magnitude of our sin or the situation that we're in, that that is going to be enough for our heart to change. But Christ rebuked the Pharisees always, all the time, and he threatened them. And he told them, what, you know, what is the outcome of their actions and behavior? And if they continue on the road that they're on, that is leading them to damnation. But they never listened to him. In Matthew chapter 23, 
It says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. So he made it very clear to them that they do not have salvation. He made it very clear to them that they are not going to enter heaven. And yet, how many of these Pharisees kind of stopped and said, Wait a minute, am I really not going to enter into heaven? What is it that I have to change in order to enter into heaven? Very few responded to this at all. So again, just because that we hear rebuke, that in itself does not necessarily change a heart. What about raising the dead? In the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, the rich man after he dies and goes to Hades, and he's having this conversation, uh, and, and he said uh, that if, when, when he asked that, his, that someone be risen from the dead in order for his brothers and his family not to be tormented like him, it says in Luke 16, 31, he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded though one rise from the dead. We imagine that if somebody rises from the dead that we're going to believe. For instance, Christ, he rose Lazarus from the dead after several days of being in the tomb. And you would imagine that this would be sufficient proof for anyone that would hear and see this miracle to kind of open his eyes and say, well, maybe there's something here. Maybe there's something I need to focus on. Maybe there's something that I need to pay attention to. You know, maybe Christ is, is the real deal, but yet very few people responded. And, and actually, they tried to cover this up and they tried to, to, so that the story does not get out. So we see that this miracle that we speak about today of healing the blind man, that this was not a small miracle. This wasn't something that um, could have been hidden. Many people find out about it. In verse in John 9, 32, it says, Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. There was, there was no other explanation for what it is that happened because everybody knew this man was blind and now they could tell that he could see and there was no other explanation other than Christ healed him. And yet this did not affect them. They continued on their way. Their whole focus was how to cover this up and how to threaten those people who had seen it so as not to... Uh, so, 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 so that the news does not spread. So why did the parents not believe? Why did they not believe? The first reason was they had a fear of losing. Because the parents did not doubt the miracle. The parents saw it and they knew that this was his son. So they could not deny that their son actually was blind and they could not deny that he now can see. But they were afraid of admitting it. They were afraid of admitting it to the people. Actually, the Pharisees also denied Christ for a similar reason. It's not because they denied his miracles. It's that they were afraid of admitting them and accepting them and telling them to the people. We read in John chapter 11, it says, Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. They had something to lose, the authority that they had. Now this man, Jesus, is going to come and his people are going to follow after him and we are not going to have any authority anymore. So they were afraid of accepting Christ because of something that they were going to lose. And we have to ask ourselves, what is it that we are afraid to lose? When we do not accept Christ, when our hearts are unchanged, when we see all kinds of evidence of God working in the church, in our lives, in our families, in, in so many ways we hear the word of God and it's like God is screaming at us trying to get our attention to wake up from the kind of the slumber that we're in and yet we are afraid because maybe we're afraid to lose something. 
God comes and tells me we cannot continue in a certain lifestyle that maybe we have become accustomed to or a certain sin that we have been accustomed to. And he says, these things or these people that are your friends or these actions or these thoughts, you have to remove them. And even though we want God perhaps, and we believe that he is true and real, but we are afraid of losing something. We're afraid of giving up something, sacrificing something. And so we end up clinging to the things that we have placed our trust in and maybe we don't respond to God and our hearts are not moved to to give up and to sacrifice and to have a change of life the way that God wants us to. So that's the first reason why maybe our hearts are unchanged is because we're afraid of losing. A second reason that we um, maybe our, our hearts are unchanged is because there is some kind of inconvenience. In addition to the loss, there is some kind of inconvenience involved. When you read the story of the rich young ruler whom Christ asked to give away all his possessions, we read about him in Mark 10, verse 21. He says, One thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. So here he's talking about actual action. You know, in a sermon or when we're talking amongst our friends or in a Bible study, it's very easy to talk about, oh, and we have to give to the poor and we have to sacrifice and we have to do this. But here he was actually told that, okay, now you have to do it. You actually have to do it right now. This is not just words. This is something that you are being called to actually to do. And maybe sometimes when we, again, we, we want to be with God and we want to have a relationship with God, but now God tells us, okay, now you have to give up the things that you have. Now you have to come and serve me. Now you have to be inconvenienced for my sake. Now you have to sacrifice something in real life instead of just talking about sacrifice. Um, maybe this sounds different to us. Maybe this scares us off. Maybe this is something that we're not willing to accept. And again, even though while we believe that God is true, just as this rich young ruler, he believed that this man was somebody special. You know, even if he didn't know he was the son of God, he at least believed that he was a prophet and he believed that he had the truth, which is why he came and spoke with him. And yet when, when Christ told him what is it that he had to do, he refused to accept it and he walked away. Another reason that maybe these parents' hearts were unchanged is because they were afraid of giving up their comforts. You know, we, we speak about that we want to seek the truth, but again, the truth demands that we not just seek it, but once we find it, we do something with it. And the way that we seek the truth is very important. How is it that we seek truth? Do we seek the truth because we want to conform ourselves to it regardless of what we find? It's very, very um, difficult to, to say that actually we are seeking truth. Because truth is not just an academic thing. Truth is something that once I find the truth, I'm willing to sacrifice everything else and conform myself to the truth. So if the truth is inconvenient or the truth is painful or the truth is uncomfortable, are we willing to actually follow through with it? Or we just want to learn it in our heads, in our minds, but we don't actually do much from it. Okay? If you think of actually about what happened to these parents? I mean, these parents, you know, weren't willingly, weren't willing to abandon the synagogue, right? They were so afraid of being put out of the synagogue because of, you know, if they admitted that this, this was, was actually their son and that he was healed from being blind. But you think about what is it that Christ had done? I mean, first of all, their son had been a burden on them their entire life because he was blind, so he couldn't function on his own. His parents, had, his parents had to do everything for him. There was nothing that they could not do. 
that he that, that he could do on his own. So now his parents were freed from this. Okay, and if this really was the Christ, if this really was the person who, um, you know, he claimed to be, then why were they even interested in the synagogue at all? Right? It was nothing like the synagogue was an old way of worship to them. And here Christ is coming in and saying, "I'm offering you something new." There is no need for the synagogue anymore. And yet these people were too much into their own culture. They maybe had a superficial faith. They, they didn't really believe. They were doing things and going through the motions because this is what they were taught. right? They weren't really interested in the truth. They were just interested in being comfortable where they were. We come to the synagogue because this is where we are supposed to go. And this is where our friends are. And this is the way that we worship. But when presented with something that really rattled their whole foundation of what it is that they believed and what it is they did, which really gave them now a choice. Are you willing to follow the truth and be in discomfort and transition to something else? Or are you just going to stay where you are knowing that this is not the truth. They chose just to stay where they were. They chose to do nothing because it was easier. It was more comfortable for them simply to stay where they were. And we ask ourselves this question also. You know, are we, do we actually want the truth or are we just interested in staying where we are? Do we have a lifestyle where we just don't want to change it because it's uncomfortable for us? Or are we actually, when we hear the truth, we hear the rebuke, we hear that there is something I lack, that I actually go and seek after and change what it is that I am doing. In Philippians 3 verse 8, it says, Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Is this our attitude, that we count all things as loss and as rubbish, and that we only see that Christ is the one who is valuable? That I only want to reach Christ, that, I, that He is like the pearl of great price, that I will sell everything else so that I can purchase this field that has this pearl, because He is the one that is so important. We don't see this in the parents. And even though God worked in the life of their son, and He made it clear to them, and yet they did not respond to Him. Another reason that their hearts were not changed is because they had a desire for normalcy. They just wanted things to be normal. They didn't, they didn't want to go and step out and do something else. They were afraid of what might happen. You know, if you can imagine even like when Christ called the apostles and he's telling them, I want you to become fishers of men. Well, they have no idea what this means. They have no idea what, what exactly their life is going to consist of as becoming fishers of men. They're much more comfortable with what is normal. And we always have this idea of what is normal, and I want to continue to be in what is normal, and I don't want to do something too crazy. I don't want to do something that is beyond my, you know, what, what people would normally see as a normal life and a normal thing. You know, if, if, if Christ comes and asks me to give away something, it's like, well, is that normal? Do, do, do people normally do that? And if, if everyone does that, then I'm comfortable doing what everybody does. But if I'm called to do something that other people don't do, then I'm going to be seen as a fanatic. I don't want to be seen as a fanatic. I don't want to be seen as someone who is crazy. So our maybe sometimes our desire or our, our, our motivation for the things that we do is not based on what it is that God is asking me to do, but based on how other people are going to see me. You know, if I come to church all the time, how are the people going to see me? They're going to come and tell me, oh, you're just this really holy person and you think that you're better than us and that you're, you know, almost like a judgment. Or they see that we're coming to church and they don't understand that. Um, we, we read about 
kind of this in, the, in Exodus chapter 16, when the Israelites were wandering in the desert, and even though they you know, had left Egypt where they were slaves, now they're complaining that they don't have any meat to eat. And they're saying what the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the pots of meat, and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. When Christ, when God brought the people out of Egypt, what is he saying? Well, what was normal in their life? What was normal for them was slavery. That was normal. That's where they lived for hundreds of years. That was normal. And everyone they knew was a slave. And everyone they knew lived a certain way. But they were slaves. And maybe they didn't really acknowledge that there was a different life out there for them, there was a better life that God would bring them to, but they were almost comfortable with slavery. Because when God did bring them out, and they began to experience challenges in this new life that God is allowing them to experience, instead of trying to deal with it, and dealing with the challenges, and asking God to help them with it, their first thought was, I want to go back to slavery again. Because maybe slavery was better than this new life that God has given. And we do the same. When God calls us to a new life, to a life of holiness, to a life of righteousness, to a life that is maybe different than and away from the people that I perhaps used to live my life, there is the sense of it was more comfortable before. I want to go back there again because where I am now is difficult. Where I am now is not comfortable. Where is God leading me? I don't know. And I, and I, and I, and I find it tempting just to go back again. Even when back there in that previous life, it was a horrible life, even though I was a slave maybe a slave of sin. So there is always this desire of going back to what we're comfortable with. And, and this is dangerous. When God changes us, He's changing us, it's going to be like this, this, you know, um, this cataclysmic type of process. It's going to be so, that God is leading us somewhere we don't know, and we don't understand the process or where God is leading, and yet we have to trust in Him, because this is the only way that we change. When we sacrifice something old and we embrace something new, it's definitely going to require faith, that we trust that God is leading us somewhere good. The last reason that I want to speak about is this, uh, that maybe the hearts of the parents were unchanged because of the unknown. They didn't know where they were going. They lived their whole life in the synagogue, and this was the normal way for them to live. And now God is leading them to a new kind of worship, with a new kind of faith, with different people. Um, and there was no detailed plan for them. Just like the apostles, there was no detailed plan um, when he told them, come and I will make you fishers of men. Maybe it was in the mind of God, but he did not share that initially with the apostles. And so they were called to follow after Christ simply because they believed in him. Just like the man himself who was born blind. Because he can see, well, this is great that I can see, but I can, I can see and I'll go back to my life again. You know, now I can see, and when I go to the synagogue, now I can worship. You know, it's like when, when God gives us a gift, we can either use it to enhance our existing life, or we can choose to leave behind this life for the sake of God and seek after Him and begin a different life altogether. When God blesses us, when God gives us, we can either say, God, I'm going to take this good thing you've given me, and I'm going to allow, allow it to improve my existing life, or it's going to allow me what? To worship God in a new way, in a higher way. Then maybe the existing life and maybe the things that I do with my current life is not pleasing to God. That if I know and believe that God has blessed me, 
and he wants me maybe to abandon certain aspects of my life and live a different kind of life altogether. But again, there is a, a concept of the unknown. What is that going to look like? How is it? How is it that I'm going to live in this new format? How is it that I'm going to live without these sins or these people or whatever it is that is keeping me in bondage? And this is an important question for us to consider because God wants us to leave behind. And this is the idea of being changed. Sometimes we want God to change us or we want God to bless us or we want God to give us good things. But I have to ask myself, if God gives me good things, am I willing to abandon the bad things? For instance, like those 10 lepers, am I willing to, to allow God to heal me of my leprosy? And then am I going to change my life? Am I going to come to God with thanksgiving? Or am I just going to go and continue the rest of my life as normal, but now without the hindrance of maybe this disease or this problem that God has removed from me? So miracles don't change the heart. Miracles do not change the heart. And we should not be seeking after them. If God wants to do miracles, that's up to him according to his economy. But, we should, but the idea of seeking after miracles does not change the heart. In Jeremiah 29, 13, uh, he says, And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And this is what we should be doing. We should be seeking for God with all our hearts and, and living with, with what we know. Living with what we know. Sometimes we focus on gaining more knowledge. But I would ask, how much do we live according to the knowledge we already have? Maybe all of us know enough, and even if we did not add any more knowledge, then we would still be saved according to the knowledge that we have if we lived according to this knowledge. There is this story about uh, a bishop who was traveling by boat, and he um, went to this island that had these three monks living there. And he went and spoke with these monks, and he found out that they didn't even know the Lord's Prayer. They didn't know anything. And he told them, how is it that you pray? And they told him, uh, and they told him, we pray the simple prayer that we are three, because there were three monks, and then speaking to God, you are three, because of the Trinity, and just asking um, God to bless them. And that's it. And so the bishop was kind of surprised that these are monks, that this is the only prayer that they knew. And so he decided he was going to teach them the Lord's Prayer. So he tried and tried and tried to teach them the Lord's Prayer. But in the end, like they, they could barely learn, like they were very slow to learn. So he said, thank you, okay. And, uh, you know, he was kind of disappointed with the whole experience. And he got back on his boat and he went on his way. And then what happened is the three monks came to him running on the water. And they told him, we forgot the words of the prayer that you taught us. Can you please teach it to us again? And the bishop realized the holiness of these three monks, that they could even walk on the water, even though they had absolutely minimal knowledge of anything. So God is not looking for us to have an extreme amount of knowledge. God is looking for us to live according to what it is that we know. So if we know a lot, then actually God will, you know, God will bring us to judgment according to these things that we know. Do we live according to what God has given? So we ask that God change our hearts, not just fill our minds, but to, ch to change our hearts so that we can live according to the way that he calls us to live. And glory be to God forever. Amen.